1: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Yeah, because it's at hostes ornamenta adant. so and foes bare arms adiando amnecam to the doors of death yeah so that's literally just english syntax that's not how it would actually be written in latin
3: well maybe because we're in america now
2: (laughs) no (laughs) no you know why because if latin had changed and developed you know what would have happened italian phoebe (laughs) to Monster Donut, a literary and historical deep dive into the Percy Jackson series and all of its following spin-offs. I'm Emily, a uh, classic scholar and general mythology fan and resident Aeneid hater. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Phoebe, a dramaturg and story consultant. And today we have a special guest here to finally start talking about Heroes of Olympus. Woo-hoo. We have Charlie from Of the Eldest Gods.
4: Hi, Charlie. Hello. Hello, friends. <laughs> I'm here. I'm queer. I'm ready to talk about Lost Hero, the book that I feel like no one likes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you like it, or so you said, so you claimed.
4: I, I like first books in a series, personally. Mm-hmm. They-, they they bring you back to the magic, you know? Bring you back to that good feeling. The last book always makes me, like, sad and bittersweet feeling, but the first book gives me those those good vibes again.
3: Before we start talking about the book properly, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what Of the Eldest Gods is?
4: So uh, I I have um my own Percy Jackson podcast called Of the Eldest Gods. I do it with my friend Ray. We're currently on Battle of the Labyrinth. We've We've had Emily on for an episode. <laughs>
2: it was a lot of fun.
4: But we go chapter by chapter. And I just like give little like, hey, this is the context of like the myth that's going on right now because there's a lot going on like Rick puts a lot of fucking mythology in his books and it's like there was still more in Heroes Olympus he just kept finding more things that he didn't <laughs> put in the other ones and then and then in Trials of Apollo it's just like just he's he's really really
3: found like some obscure stuff
2: i'm excited for Trials of Apollo
3: i'm so excited for Trials of Apollo i want to skip the series and go straight to Trials of Apollo <laughs> <laughs> y'all will get there so much faster than me so <laughs>
2: I have to say, like, my fun story with The Lost Hero is that I um, read through The Last Olympian, I think when I was in middle school or whenever the books were out. And then my freshman year of college, Phoebe started posting a lot because I think Blood of Olympus was the best. No, it was House of Hades was about to come out. And Phoebe was posting about it a lot on Tumblr. And Phoebe has a superpower where if she will, she'll like casually mention a piece of media and your brain will immediately be like, I gotta read it. I gotta check it out. And it was like in my first month of college. I keep seeing Phoebe posting stuff. And I was like, you know what? I want I want to go back. Percy Jackson was really fun to read. Let me let me read these new books. And so I read The Lost Hero and Son of Neptune within like probably 48 hours. And I think I got halfway through Mark of Athena and stopped and then I didn't pick these books up again until after I'd graduated because, again, I was talking to Phoebe and she was like, you didn't finish the series. Right.
3: My Charms uh, Peak wore off while you were in college. That's yeah. the thing. I totally forgot my copy of this was signed and got jump scared by Rick's scribble when I opened it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, when did you get it signed?
3: Um, I didn't. They used to just like stock a bunch in Barnes & Noble. Mm. Like if you pre-ordered it, your copy would be signed. I don't know if they still do that. But here it is. It very clearly says Rick Riordan.
2: <laughs> I love his scribbles. For those listening at home, it's literally like a loop-de-loop.
4: Yeah, I have I have a similar one on my copy of The Lightning Thief.
3: But I opened my book and I was like, what happened here? And then I was like, oh, right. It's, <laughs> it's a signature.
2: Wait, that's not what mine looks like, though. Hold on. Let me get my copy of Titan's <laughs>
3: Well, didn't you get that signed in like two thousand seven? Yeah. So before he got sick of us,
2: (laughs) I got it signed after I asked him my annoying questions. Oh right, he should have just scribbled on that. (laughs) I had a gold pen and a silver pen. So, oh my god, I have backbiter signed Titans (laughs) card.
3: We'll post pictures of these, and also I figured I would say this up here just because I'm sure people skip the outro of our episodes and won't hear this. We recently made a coffee, Kofi, however you say it, because we don't make any money off of doing this. So if you'd like to support us, that is officially our tip jar. So if you like the podcast, think about leaving us a tip
2: it's only if you feel so moved it would be very appreciated and um also if you want to help us out in a non-monetary way it's always awesome to see reviews on spotify itunes or wherever you're listening to your podcast comments or anything so yeah it'd be super fun no that's a bad way to end that super fun it'd, what, be, you super a comment? Fun. <laughs> it'd be super fun
3: if you would rate <laughs> us five stars on spotify yeah. <laughs> You can find the link to our coffee and to Apple Podcasts and all that <laughs> in our link tree on all of our social media, which is at PJOPod.
2: Wherever your podcasts are sold.
3: Yeah. If you're buying them, I don't know what you're doing.
2: But <laughs> 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 Something's wrong.
3: So we start off on the bus to the Grand Canyon. A throwback to the beginning of The Lightning Thief.
2: Yeah, we're, we're on a bus again. To a school, on a school trip.
3: Mm-hmm. And here we meet our three main characters immediately. And so I... Just for old time's sake, even though this means nothing, I thought I'd say what everyone's first line was.
2: Oh, yeah! <laughs>
3: but they're, like, kind of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are they? <laughs> well, Jason's first spoken line of dialogue is, um, I don't, and then it gets cut off. Which is, like, so true, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> and Piper's is, Jason, you okay? I I do think it is an important thing about her that we do first learn like we first paint her as like someone who's perceptive and kind before we learn that this school is like basically the camp from Holes and that she's (laughs) there for being a thief but it's like you get that from Piper and then immediately that's like the very first thing that we get from Leo is that he's at the school from Holes. Um, Because his first line is, yeah, right, Jason, we've all been framed. I didn't run away six times. Piper didn't steal a BMW.
2: (laughs) Should we talk about the switch to third person?
3: Oh, I think with third person, I mean, I mentioned already in one of our episodes, when we're in third person, the characters can't hide anything from the narrator. The narrator will just tell Mm. you. And anything and everything which in first person they can decide whether or not to tell you what they're thinking basically but I mean like with Piper the narrator is not going to tell you what her secret is for like 10 chapters it's just going to be like oh she thought about the, the dream she had and then like not explain mm. it <laughs> mm. so it's almost yeah. as if it's in first person but the third person does have an effect of like distancing you from the characters which I kind of, I think, kind of works with Jason. Because like in this opening chapter and like the couple chapters surrounding it, we get such like clear personalities from Piper and Leo. You know, we get kind of like I said, that that gentler side from Piper, but then also she's the one who's going around starting physical fights with people um, on the field trip. And like Leo, we immediately know like troublemaker, messing with the teacher, cracking jokes, not taking anything too seriously. And then it leaves you with this huge, like, gap coming from Jason. And it's, like, especially apparent because you're in third person and aren't in his head. You're just, like, there's this empty hole (laughs) in the narrator position at the very beginning of the book.
2: It's interesting because he doesn't know who he is or what he's done. And, like, how much of that is so entrenched in his personality that, like, it's hard to get a read on him for a while until he starts to remember like little things and start to like understand his identity a little bit more. He's also just a reserved person, which I don't think any of us as a reader are used to.
3: Um, I want to say something that is a spoiler for the adventure zone.
2: <laughs> Can you say it in a way that I would know what you're talking about?
3: I'm talking about when so much of your personality is the thing that you do that like to erase your memory you would have to like get rid of the whole oh, thing
2: yeah <laughs> got it okay
3: <laughs> um but that's kind of what I get from Jason is just cause like yeah we learn that so much of him is you know being raised from like age two in the wolf house yeah it's like that that is who he is is like the the stuff that was taken from him
2: and it'll be interesting to, to compare that to uh Mr. Jackson in the next book mm
3: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, but we get the first like breadcrumbed clue about Jason's identity, which I always thought was interesting, um, which is that he has this golden coin with a description of a Roman bus and on the back it says Julius, which is interesting to me because that's Julius. Who do we do we know any famous Juliuses? Just um any, anything? Does that ring a bell any the Julius Cain
4: from the Cain Chronicles? <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but I was wondering if that coin was actually maybe a relic, because at first I was like, does that just mean that it's got Julia, the coin is like Julius Caesar on it, which honestly is probably what Rick intended, but I have a way more fun headcanon, which is that Jason and Thalia are Italian, and they're secretly <laughs> descended from the Julii clan, which is one of the old Roman families,
0: hmm. a
2: patrician. So hmm. it'd be a kind of fun headcanon for me, which I think is supported by this text here that jason's italian (laughs) but that like maybe this is like a fun little family julius Caesar or julia clan family relic that he's picked up because then that's also kind of fun is it's a coin and he flips it and he it turns into a golden sword and then we find out later if you flip it on the other way it turns into a spear which is really fun because that would be the two primary weapons of the roman legionary soldier i was trying to remember reading this If the first time I read this, I, like, figured how much I'd figured out by the time we get, like, the reveal. I do remember, like, a big driving, like, mystery while I was reading it the first time being really engaging. Like, I remember flying through this book because I was like, who is this guy?
3: (laughs) What's going on? I think it's especially because, like, the moments where we get a piece of Jason's personality revealed when he's, like, acting on autopilot or, like, goes into commander mode. Yeah. They're, like, so exciting because the Jason that, like, clearly lives somewhere inside him feels, like, massive. Like, the things that he can do and the authority that he acts with and speaks with sometimes and, like, the confidence. He's, like, so intense in moments. Yeah. And you're, like... what are you? (laughs) He just seems so huge like he looms so large in those moments and then when he goes back to like oh I don't remember anything it's like no hang on a second you can't just go back to like he is blonde superman though like
4: (laughs) (laughs) he can fly he's got the two personalities going he's got the amnesiac but like the reserved guy and then he's got the I'm the hero I'm gonna do this
2: Yeah, I think I mentioned in a prior episode, one of my favorite tropes is like characters who have reached god tier level, levels of skill. But then they meet like normal people who haven't like done all of that and been through all of that. And they're like, wait, you can what? Wait, Mm -hmm. you did what? And I feel like this book is really fun because like we, the audience, get to experience that with Jason a little bit. Like, him at the end where he's just like, oh, yeah, I battled the Titan Creos. I did all of this stuff. And he's, like, Iconic, listing all these Iconic. It's so good. And I'm, like, I remember when I was first reading that, I was living. I was, like, OMG. I
4: want his side of the Titan War. I, like, I think that <laughs> right? would be so
3: important. When he says, I, what does he say? I destroyed the Titan Creos with my bare hands. I was, like, yeah. your bare hands? <laughs> I wanna know. Here's
2: the thing, like <laughs> when I was reading this book originally, I was like, oh man, he's just as badass as Percy. But then I by re rereading The Last Olympian, Percy like barely fights Kronos. Like barely. Mm-hmm. Like that like that's not even a fight scene. And so the fact that like Jason is there bare knuckle boxing at <laughs> like, the other
3: side. But it's also, like, there's such an emphasis on the weapons throughout that book, like, throughout The Last Olympian, that it's, like, the idea that you could defeat a titan with your bare hands. I'm imagining Jason
4: went, like, Thor, God of Thunder, like, shit on him.
3: You know, that makes so much more sense than what was in my head, which was just him, like, choking him out.
2: (laughs) Why not both, you know? But, um... Yeah, I did think it was really fun that uh, we kicked it off as well with the little mythological reference because they're like, "Oh, the guy with one shoe." Yeah. So in the Jason myth, he he ends up being like the chosen of Hera because she like appears to him and needs as an old woman and wanting to cross a rushing river, and he is really nice, so he carries her on his back and she like keeps testing him so she becomes heavier and heavier as he carries her, but he makes it to the other side but he loses a shoe.
4: Yeah, she blesses him after he's um went across. It's, it's like basically I guess a prophecy or something that whoever had one shoe was like supposed to be the king and that's why Peleus sends him on the quest for the golden fleece. Like, no, uh you actually have to go do this other thing. Yeah, You no, no, um, he like her, do that. Is it
2: that he helps her across and then he continues on his journey and he shows up and they're like, oh my god, he's got one shoe? Yeah. It's like, shit, this is the
4: guy, this is the guy. Um, No, you, you gotta go on this quest first, actually, and then you can become king. So, and that's what fucks him over.
2: And that way we <laughs> kick off our parallels, though, because he's uh, unknowingly been chosen by Hera and tested by <clears throat> her at mm-hmm. this point, and he's got one shoe, and then he kind of gets tapped to go on this... Uh, Grand Adventure because we've talked a little bit about how a lot of these books they all kind of are modeled after famous myths and this one is modeled after Jason and the Argonauts and it kind of follows a lot of the same beats so it's kind of fun that we start off the lightning thief with the Perseus myth replayed and then we're starting off the lost hero with the Jason myth replayed by Jason
3: yeah it's a return to where we were, because we talked about how we were distancing ourselves from replaying myths over the course of the Percy Mm -hmm. Jackson series, and it's like to the point where when we did start actually replaying moments in The Last Olympian, it was kind of jarring. I don't know, it was almost like coming back to the basics with- With uh, this story, because it was such a replay in some moments. Yeah,
2: there's a lot of elements in this story too that are kind of spread out amongst like Piper, Jason, and Leo that are very reminiscent, also of the Lightning Thief. If we want to zoom a little ahead, because um, first of all, we've got like a stolen, you know, an almost killed, but actually they were stolen parental. I'm putting that in heavy air quotes. Figure of Coach Coach Hedge. So that kind of is one of (laughs) them.
3: That's not who I was
2: expecting. <laughs>
3: I thought you were going to say Hera. Air quotes. I thought you were going to say Piper's dad and then you put it in yeah. air quotes and I was like, "Wait, who are we talking about now?" Well, <laughs> no,
2: I am more specifically talking about like the Minotaur scene specifically. Like that the first like one of the hmm. big major monster Okay, okay. Monster encounter is stolen. Yeah. It's fine. The choice between a parental figure and saving the world, that's also in there. But we've also got a Jason a, as it turns out a child of the big 3 being a bad and a danger to the rest of camp because they keep talking about Jason being a danger, being instrumental in like a greater prophecy that's teased, but we never actually like fully well, we do hear it, but there's like an extra prophecy that they keep mentioning. They keep saying like Leo is instrumental in this other thing,
3: yeah. So right. Leo's
2: kind of like a, the prophecy kid in that way, and they keep talking about him like that. Yeah,
3: he's definitely the one that they emphasize has like a greater destiny yeah, like something after this. they're the the hero of something. That's true.
2: Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting was not a lot of time has passed since the Great War. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like still like grief and ghosts hanging around. And I also thought it was really interesting that Piper is super paralleled with Selena and the seeds are kind of sown for her to basically be picking up where Selena left off and in that way Leo is the same with Beckendorf where he's kind of like stepping into this mantle with Festus the dragon who Beckendorf like discovered and only he could like control. So there's like, all of these kind of continuations of this work and go so it it feels like we're picking up where we left off also instead of starting a new story although I also wrote down no justice for Lee Fletcher unfortunately
3: (laughs) (laughs) interesting because I didn't think of it as picking up where we left off I felt like it was starting a new story but where like you could feel the empty holes and like you know because I there aren't many things about Leo that remind me of Beckendorf (laughs) and and there aren't many things about Piper that remind me of Selena. It's just like people keep comparing them and it's yeah. mm-hmm. the same thing of like the whole camp scene. There's this treatment of the past like the last series as like not quite legend yet but like a, it's still a story that now has to be told. And so we get to see the past starting to become legend slowly through our main characters now having to look at it as an outsider. Yeah. And so to me those were kind of just the holes that are now living among them yeah
2: i mean there's that really good scene that's like in between all the aphrodite kids and piper's there where they're telling her about selena and a lot of the kids are like she was a hero meanwhile drew was like well she was a traitor and in piper's brain she's like i'm gonna be a traitor oh no
3: right and she keeps thinking about it like oh no i'm gonna be the next selena beauregard beauregard however you're supposed to
2: say it It, i mean if if you want to do like french it's beauregard but i'm gonna
3: say beauregard to disrespect the french
2: (laughs) (laughs) but it's the language of love
3: but yeah it's you're already seeing the stories starting to kind of morph because other people are starting to tell them
2: this is why i also started thinking about as much as i hate it um, the Aeneid. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Because in that way as well, you know, we look at like all of the great epics in the list and what sets the Aeneid apart from a lot of the quote unquote, like great old epics and like at least the Western canon. So like your Iliad and the Odyssey, Beowulf, Epic of Gilgamesh, which is not strictly Western, but it's kind of part of our canon. The Aeneid is by far the most recent and also actively builds off the legacy of another one. And in, it also, like, kind of takes a lot of the Iliad and the Odyssey and takes and retells it from a different perspective, but, like, also replays it. It, it, it does what The Force Awakens does, if you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, The Force Awakens is better than The Iliad. <laughs> was gonna say but it's interesting to me because i was trying to do a little bit of research to remind myself of the really early history of rome and something that kept hitting me over and over and over again was that almost everybody who writes about the history of rome as a city begins with the story of Aeneas or Romulus and Remus. Even the like really scholarly historical texts, it's really hard. You like have to go out of your way to really look up the actual like archaeological, anthropological, linguistic history of how Rome came about. Like in so many ways, most civilizations do have like founding mythology, but I feel like most of them we still like know enough or we know enough to not know like where they came from. And yet with Rome, every time there's just this irresistible pull to always begin with its own myths about itself, hmm. which I think also ties a little bit into how we as Americans uh, think about Greece and Rome. So we're yeah. at camp.
3: We're at camp. We've decided we're at camp now. We never said that we were transitioning to camp.
2: Yeah, we're, we're at we camp. we are at camp. <laughs> we spend like the first half of this book at camp and it's one day. Um,
4: but it's yeah. three different perspectives. Like, you yeah. gotta get Piper's whole day, Leo's whole day, Jason's whole day.
2: And we also start to get a bit more breadcrumbing of Jason and, like, what mm-hmm. m- might have come from... Like, wh- what's going on? What's his deal, basically? And it seems like Kyron knows. And he's like, oh, can't say. I swore an oath on the river Styx. And there's also, like, a couple weird moments where Jason says things to Annabeth, and there are definitely things Annabeth should know. And yet she somehow... Has no idea. The first is that he shows his tattoo with 12 lines and SBQR, And Annabeth's like, wow, I've never seen marks like this. You you know Annabeth knows this shit. But then there's another moment where someone brings up Lupa. And Annabeth's like, weird, never heard of it. And like, Lupa is just the feminine form of the word wolf in Latin, which she should know. And like, she would theoretically be like, Latin wolf. Huh, she wolf huh, does this remind me of any stories or myths?
3: Maybe Kyron wants to keep these guys so separate that he's censoring all of the books that come into camp. (laughs) (laughs) I would believe that, actually.
2: (laughs) Like, that's what I'm thinking, though. Like, I wonder if there's something weirder going on where, like, they're really, like, it's just, like, control alt delete every once in a while.
3: Oh, like, she can't retain information about Rome. yeah. (laughs) chiron uses the mist over them like every time yeah. they learn something mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Roman. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: i could i yeah well i mean because he knows and he swore an oath so maybe part of the oath is having it
3: well they say a couple times in the book that like they're u- using the mist trying to manipulate them so that they won't run into each other mm-hmm. like it this lines up this makes sense okay. <laughs> do we want to talk about jason in the hypnos cabin I just, I just wanted to talk about yeah. Clovis and
4: how I love him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this sleepy little boy and this cabin where, like, it makes you want to fall asleep and it's so dangerous because <laughs> it makes you want to yeah. fall
2: asleep. I love that they just straight up have, river, like, water from the Lefe in their cabin, too. Like, Yeah.
3: <laughs> the Stoll brothers are not allowed in this cabin. <laughs> Clovis said something interesting in this scene that I'm trying to find in my oh, notes. Oh,
4: Yeah. Like how the gods are only Roman and stuff. So we call the gods by their Greek names because that's their original form. But saying their Roman aspects are exactly the same, that's not true. In Rome, they became more warlike. They didn't mingle with mortals as much. They were harsher, more powerful, the gods of an empire. I don't know who wants to
3: speak on this first.
2: (laughs) I feel like you should talk about it first with like story stuff because... Well, I mean, Phoebe knows what I'm going to talk about.
3: <laughs> I think I know what you're okay. going to talk about. <laughs> I, <laughs> so what I I noted about this scene, or specifically about these lines where Clovis, when Annabeth says, oh, the darker side of the gods, is like, not necessarily the darker side, but the the, the version that values discipline and strength and honor above most things because i now know jason it just showed me how much jason is rome and like just how mm-hmm. roman jason is at the yeah. beginning of this series and that those are traits that like when jason goes into his kind of former <laughs> form <laughs> for a moment yeah. those are the things that kind of come through I'm, I'm thinking if there's a specific moment that i can't remember exactly what it is
2: is it when he's fighting um lit where he like remembers all of his combat training all of a sudden
3: Maybe it's like moments like that and his speech at the end that is so like harsh and powerful Mm -hmm. like Rome is described here and like there's a specific moment it's something like is bothering him about like his values it's like honor or discipline or something that comes up in one of these scenes and I can't remember which it is so I'm just gonna forget about it and keep going (laughs) but these are like some of the most intense aspects that we get of Jason's personality when his like former personality breaks through.
4: I'm just now thinking how Jason is basically like that that anime character trope. Um, would it be a super powered evil side, so, some something like that, where just like he just like, oh, I'm a different person now. Does the the really cool shit, um, and then goes back to being like normal ass dude. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's kind of what it feels like where he's just like whoa that was weird
3: right he goes into (laughs) autopilot and his autopilot is like deadly (laughs) but yeah you can say what you're gonna say about this
2: scene now (laughs) charlie do you want to add anything
3: um i mean i thought y'all were gonna talk
4: about uh complain about like how oh the romans didn't really copy those gods from the greeks
2: yeah that's (laughs) yeah There's more to it than that. I'm not even going to dwell too much on that because I'm going to be honest. I expected to get really angry at the way Rick describes the Roman and Greek relationship because there is a really gigantic misconception that I think most people have that I had for a while, actually, because there's so many gods that line up. They just have different names that they also just adopted the Greek gods because they're so similar. But The actual reality is that the Greeks and the Romans are both descended from the Indo-European culture. So they're not copied gods. They're the same gods. They're just expressed in different ways from the different peoples. Um, And those two, they happen to be pretty similar. But that same tradition also has birthed the Norse gods, the German Mm -hmm. gods, the Celtic gods. So, for example, Zeus, the name in Greek... There is an interesting etymological shift, but uh, Jupiter is his name derives from Jiwu Pater. Pater is the word for father, and Jiwu is sky. So du Pater, like father, sky. And there's cognates as well in um, like Sanskrit all the way through, and like a bunch of others. Odin and Wotan and like the German and Norse traditions, they're the same dude. Like <laughs> it's the same god. This whole concept is flawed. But here's the thing, um, gods having different aspects and even different names is a thing in Greek and Roman mythology. Most, Mm -hmm. and in fact, um, Rick even references um, one of, an example of it in this book, where um, most Greek temples and Roman temples are consecrated not just to Zeus, but to specifically like the temple, the temple to Zeus in Athens is specifically the temple to Olympian Zeus, um, and he mentions um, like the temple to Juno Moneta, like Juno the Warner. There's a whole bunch of different aspects to each god that have different temples consecrated to them. So like almost every temple you go to and look up is consecrated to a different aspect of a different god, and they're depicted differently depending on, in the art, depending on depending on which version you're dealing with. So in that way, we're starting to get more of those aspects as well.
4: Yeah, the one I always remember is like um aphrodite urania versus aphrodite pandemos mm-hmm. also very interesting that rick went with the her dad is uranus
2: yeah because she's one of the ones that has a few different uh or possible origin stories uh he did give the pg version of that one though um <laughs> oh yeah he just like
3: turned into sea foam
2: yeah and- it made
3: me start wondering when... Because I knew you were going to um, talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> when I was reading the scene, is it with Boreas? Where, like...
2: Yeah, he, when he morphs into... When he
3: morphs, like, mid-scene. It made me wonder if, like, if Magnus Chase ran into Zeus, <laughs> what would happen? <laughs> While the gods are all in this kind of form where they keep glitching, like, if Magnus Chase popped up, would that also... Cause them to glitch, and like, Chiron's not assuming there are other like Norse gods and everything.
4: <laughs> yeah. So Piper's finally claimed later that night. So yeah. Do we want to unpack Piper?
2: Let Let's talk um, about Piper. I
4: I feel like there's a lot to unpack about Piper because <laughs> I always liked her. I still like Piper. But she kind of falls into, what what is the trope called?
2: Not like other girls.
4: It's it's not like other girls, but it's also like, you take the glasses off. Like, you put oh. a makeup on. Yeah, a like, you pull her hair there. down. That that It's like that kind of trope. It's like, she was beautiful the whole time. But yeah, it's also very much not like other girls, too, at the same time.
2: I, I do think he skirts the line a little bit. Like, I don't think he goes, he goes fully into that and you know what it is is also i think it's because it felt like more realistic to me as like a thing a teenager would think where you're just like "Uh, i i'm gonna make not liking makeup my whole personality in contrast to my peers like that's more acceptable when you're like 15. Uh,
4: that was a mood that
2: was that was me yeah (laughs) like so i'll allow it you know like she 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 learns
3: I do think without it, we wouldn't have gotten the great character development that Piper does go through at the very end of these books. But it it is, like, the main reason that I think a lot of people found her annoying when these books came out. Mm. (laughs) And yet I was just like, oh, I relate to this so much. (laughs) I, of all of the characters in, like, any of these series, Piper is the one that I relate to probably more than anyone. I Mm. I love Piper.
4: (laughs) I love her. But, yeah, it's just like... Oh, I don't wanna wear the makeup. I don't want this, so she's gotta she's gotta reject that she's an Aphrodite kid. And like during this read through of The Last Hero, I was just like, you know, what if Piper wasn't a daughter of Aphrodite though? This this was my my thing. Like, in later stuff we learned that it doesn't matter the gender of the mortal parrot. So, um, what if she was a daughter of like Hermes or something?
3: That's the one clue, is that she stole a BMW. Mm-hmm. I would have killed to see like a child of Hermes on this quest post post Luke in this post-luke world. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> and okay, I feel like Charm Speak still kind of works yeah. as a Hermes power. Absolutely. <laughs> He's the trickster. He's like this silver-tongued trickster. Come on.
2: I actually had a few thoughts over the course of this book, like of how many different kinds of demigods powers could do the same functions. Mm -hmm. It's like um, skipping ahead a little bit Like in the Midas house for example I kept thinking about the diary of Luke Castellan Where like they're both breaking into a mansion Leo's doing it because he can sense mechanics Versus like Luke was doing it because he can pick locks And like how all of this Mm -hmm. like little overlaps that happen Also like Percy and Jason both are really good at navigating places Because they both at different points are like have a innate sense of like winds And like you know like nature stuff
4: Another thing that would even make sense for Piper would be
2: Apollo,
4: because, like, she's a bard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. the whole thing about her name, like, you could sing the snake song. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, there's there's so much you could have done here. But yes, justice for a- the Aphrodite cabin was actually kind of important um, after what happened with the last series.
2: Yeah. I do think in this way this is how to me in the series it feels like she's really carrying on selena's legacy which is like i feel like he started undoing a lot of the aphrodite stereotypes with selena and i feel like this is the series where he actually sat down i mean well i mentioned this to phoebe before though where he like sat down and was like hey it doesn't make sense that like only percy has cool powers But then Phoebe said, yeah, it does, so...
3: Well, it does because the kids who had the, like, really intense powers in the first... This is completely changing topics. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But the kids who had the really intense powers in the first series were the big three kids. Like, no one else really had, like really dramatic powers and so you could feel just how powerful the big three kids were and that was like so essential for that series was to like especially like that fight between Thalia and Percy in Mm. The Titan's Curse Mm -hmm. it was like you could feel just how different they were from everyone else around them. And it's like, yeah, when you start introducing all of these characters who all have like that level of ability and they're all like chosen ones where it's like Leo is the only one with fire and like, oh, only a couple of Aphrodite kids are born with charm speak. And Jason can fly.
2: And Jason's Jason. (laughs) But it
3: just it it like kind of I don't I don't think it weakens what happens in the first series, but it makes it so much less impressive the things Mm. that they can do.
4: I just had another, like, parental swap idea. Um, I'm sorry I'm, like, on this tangent, but my brain's just, like, instead of, like, oh, Jason's, like, a son of Jupiter and we have this whole thing with, like, him and being Thalia's brother, which, like, is barely important after this book. Um, <laughs> what if he was the son of Venus and, like, we connect him back to this whole, like, Aeneas being like the founder of I know we hate it but also like him being the founder of Rome like the first roman demigod it like I would make
2: him very roman this is true I would
4: love that Exactly <laughs> this That'd would be great, great. Get, make the leader of the quest the child of love you know mm-hmm. I don't know
3: Yeah now we got to think of one for Leo as we keep going we got to think of Leo <laughs> Yeah we just got
4: to swap everybody's parents <laughs> I think the problem here is that Leo is so aggressively a Hephaestus kid. <laughs> yeah. That it just like makes so much sense. Okay. Let's talk about the North Wind probably. Yeah. Let's get out of Camp Half-Blood. We need yeah. to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we meet the um we got more stuff that's the like Jason related because mm-hmm. we meet the Boreads. Mm-hmm. Um oh yeah. Calais and Z- mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yes sounds right <laughs> <laughs> they're winged dudes they were with Jason the original Jason mm-hmm. do we like their modernization
2: <laughs> yeah I thought that was funny that they I, I, again this is when I started thinking about like the replaying of the myths um, and how it's different in this because we get a lot more of like like they just meet people but they don't like replay deeds they're just like going mm-hmm. around and these like mythic figures are just like living their lives. And mm-hmm. they're just like, okay, you have trespassed onto my home. Where and like, I feel like it's also I, a lot of them. You get the feeling are like caught up in like a greater plot. Actually, all of them I think are caught up in like a greater plot, which is different from the first series for a lot of it. Because in the yeah. first series, they're just kind of chilling, and they're like, oh, that's Medusa. This is like just where she set up shop, literally.
3: Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are caught up in the impacts of the war from the last book, which I really enjoyed that we were yeah. kind of dealing with the fallout of war, like it wasn't just everything's okay now, it was like, no, there are both these kind of gods and monsters who were both impacted by the war who are trying now to recover from it, you know, setting up all- already the reasons that they might turn to Gaia. And then there's a lot of talk throughout the whole book of the fact that Zeus has now closed off Olympus because he thinks that the gods are getting too involved. All these hints that Zeus is basically throwing a tantrum because he's been told to claim his children.
4: (laughs) He's been embarrassed by, like, everything that happened in the last series. Like, they needed demigods so much, and now the demigods are like, hey, can you, like, pay child support?
2: Please. Mm
3: -hmm. And, like, he acts like that that is what's causing all of their enemies now, the fact that he was embarrassed like that.
2: Which is like also interesting because they know they're repeating a story, like it's happening again the exact same way it happened before, and it's clearly mm-hmm. like not the fault of demigods.
3: But he's gonna blame them anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know.
3: I feel like with this scene, and then it'll continue throughout the rest of the book, we start to feel the way that like nothing has totally resolved itself. Because there are, like, these people like Boreas, and then we'll learn later, like, the Cyclops, um, they have their own reasons for joining Gaia because of the impact of, and I think also Midas, that's the reason that he's helping them. There's this clear feeling that sort of settles throughout the book that, like, maybe everything isn't all right after what Percy did. Which is like a contrast, considering the uh, the end of the last Olympian was so like we've fixed it.
4: <laughs> you know, there's always fallout after these things. You know, there's always going to be something.
3: There was something else in my head, but I think I've lost it.
2: Um, Festus turned into a suitcase. That was pretty cool.
3: Yeah, let's let's di- deep dive into that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is really, you know, a metaphor for how <laughs> Leo, <laughs> and that scene in particular is really a metaphor for how Leo just compartmentalizes.
4: No, uh-huh. you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he just carries this, like, you know, he carries this with him, and it's much heavier than it seems. Mm. And it's really just, you know,
4: he he has a lot of baggage. Okay. <laughs>
2: True, he does have a lot of baggage. Although re really, Leo, oh, one thing I thought was, it's one of the things that I think annoyed me about him uh, as a person <laughs> reading it, but that interests <laughs> me as a kid. Okay, he's so like the more and more like the series, like the book progresses, he gets so much more attached to Festus as like this. Thing mm-hmm. he's like, he feels like not only responsible for Festus, like as a a person, but like also like as a thing he's created, and he really ties his self worth to Festus yeah. in a way that surprises me because I feel like you don't really, I don't really see the lead up to that in at camp while we're at camp. It seems like it's more and more like while they're on their quest that he really starts to do that. And, like, even when he voices this to, like, Piper and Jason, they're like, dude, we don't care. You built it, and that's really cool, and you fixed it, but, like, you don't... We do not associate dragon with you aside from that it's a cool thing you made and that you are, like, super great with it. It's something that interested me about Leo in particular, like, this fixation with Festus. To
3: me, it seems almost like he gets worse for a lot of the book. (laughs) (laughs) not like Not, like, gets worse, like, gets more annoying or anything. I mean, like, he just... He goes from like kind of feeling confident in his relationship with Piper and Jason Mm -hmm. and like at this point he's starting to feel like a third wheel but like they're only a month into their relationship in his mind and so he's not totally like fallen into that like oh I'm all alone in this but over the course of this book starts to feel like he's all alone in this. And so it's just kind of him getting worse (laughs) for a lot of the book.
4: I guess Leo also kind of gets like bad and like his insecurities along this quest because it's like, come on, people are counting on him for like the first time ever, Mm -hmm. really. Like he's always been on his own and now he's like in a group, he's on a quest, he has to save the world and all this. And his dragon keeps breaking.
3: Yeah. And he also puts all puts his all into the dragon because he associates his actual powers with such a negative experience that like mm-hmm. that can't be the thing that he puts all of all of himself into it has to be this like external thing
4: yeah, he's like, my powers caused me trauma, and also like people think that they're evil, so uh this dragon is uh my worth on this quest, nothing yeah. else
3: matters, and then when he loses it, it's like. Jason still has, you know, what makes him special. Piper still has what makes her special. And then it becomes like, Well what am I here for? He's got the breath mints. Um. Yeah, that's true. He <laughs> should just he should really just think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and like he'll use I I was kind of surprised at how willing he was to use his powers throughout the book once he like used them again for the first time. But he still isn't going to associate any of his self worth with his powers. Is the Cyclops scene after this? Yeah, that's that's part of this section. Um I did like seeing the Cyclops in action in that kind of like because we only really got to see that that sort of scary like where they're speaking in the voice of the people that you know and love through the story about Thalia Luke and
2: Annabeth it did remind me a lot about Annabeth's story actually because again Leo would be the like baby Annabeth in the situation where like the two strong Mm -hmm. fighters are both strung up and incapacitated and then he's hearing them calling and he kind of has to be the one to save the day
4: and, you know, that means that Jason basically relived something that Thalia lived. Yeah. And then in our our rewritten version. In our AU. <laughs> both times it's a child of Hermes because of Piper and Luke. I just think that. Again, the Piper Hermes thing would be so interesting, especially with this whole like betrayal storyline that's happening Mm. in this book, you know, betrayed by a friend.
3: Yeah. So maybe I was thinking this whole time that Piper was the Percy parallel for this book, but maybe she's the Luke. (laughs) Okay, they're all the Percy. Yeah, but for me, it was like, you know, starting it off with like getting into fights at school and like she Mm -hmm. literally says the like, oh, I've been kicked out of five schools in five years instead of six schools in six years and like gets Mm -hmm. her tour done by Annabeth who teaches her everything and like says lines that are literally just taken out of the Lightning thief at times. And the quest for her parents. Like it just it felt very and even certain aspects of her personality just reminded me of Percy.
2: I, I also I, I think Piper for me also feels a lot like similar to Percy in like her journey in this book because I feel like in the in The Lightning Thief, there's always this like fear of like in Percy's brain of like becoming like Thalia, like falling to the same fate as Thalia. And I feel like with Piper, she has it a bit with Selena at the beginning. Yeah.
3: A lot of what she's struggling with in this book feels like things that Percy has been struggling with. You know, voices saying, come to me. Yeah. <laughs> Percy doesn't even need the charm speak to talk people into things. But... Mm. <laughs> He's just got that raw charisma. Yeah. Something that I noted that like came later, but I'm going to say it now. I noticed specifically during the Aeolus scene that... Leo and Jason's first impulse, like when a god or a monster like says something kind of absurd, isn't to play along. The reason I thought of it in that scene is because no one plays along with Aeolus when he says like, oh you guys are here to promote me? Percy would have 100% been like, yes I am! And (laughs) and, like played (laughs) along with it to get out of that situation. But everyone is like, no we're not. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Obviously, the way out of this is to play into it because I've been reading Percy Jackson. But mm. the, in the rest of the scenes, that is kind of something that Piper will do. Well, she will play along with what people assume or like, you know, she'll do that kind of Percy impulse when Jason and Leo don't actually do that most of the time, mm. especially Jason. But like Jason doesn't do much of anything that Percy does most of
2: the time. Jason is just like competent.
3: He's like, I don't need to trick you. I can kill you very yeah. easily.
2: <laughs> That's why I like Jason. I like characters who are competent. Like, it's really fun to watch Percy do things. But, oh, man, that boy just throws himself into any situation without thinking it through. <laughs> right. I love
3: it, though. <laughs> it's like fun to watch him like have to piece the puzzle together while he's like mid fight. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, like, with Jason, it's, like, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he may not know that and he even knows like, what he's doing. even, when he's but... had his
2: entire memory and entire core being deleted, he's still, like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, when he does got it versus, like, Percy's, like, I got this. And Annabeth's, like, you absolutely do not got this. And Percy's, like, too late. I'm committed. <laughs> I did have one note. Piper says that she hasn't doesn't know a lot about like the myths and the stories about the wars and the giants, and she says those myths are really garbled and conflicted. Like people don't want us to know. This segue is a little bit into media, actually, because one of the things that is really interesting about the fight against the giants, which is called the Gigantomachy, if you want the fancy Greek term, is uh, one of the like places we see it all the time is that on the like lintel blocks of a lot of greek temples there'll be these friezes that depict like different stories the Gigantomachy was depicted on one of them in the temple of delphi and a lot of these friezes and a lot of these temples were often built to commemorate specific battles as like a celebration like the parthenon was built or the original parthenon was built to celebrate the victory against the Persians. For that reason, the Frieze against the Amazons and a lot of these like different artistic depictions of Greek warriors fighting mythological beings tend to be about them fighting foreign powers in a way that it's a bit dehumanizing to be honest, like it's not great. But it's really interesting to me because a lot of the characters that we meet and the mythological figures that we meet in this book are all from like foreign lands or outside Greece and Medea is a primo example of ancient Greek mythology, Using foreign sorceress women to kind of, as an expression of xenophobia, she's also for the record, my favorite character in Greek mythology. I love her so much
4: <laughs> she she's my phone case. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, overly sarcastic productions, little art on my phone case. I love her so much. <laughs> so i'm I'm mad about Rick's depiction of her.
2: <laughs> okay. I'm curious what okay.
4: <laughs> listen, I know she's a villain. I know she murdered people, but Jason was worse. (laughs) He was a man. I support women's wrongs. Okay. (laughs) Also, she was like being fucked around by the gods. I'm sorry. I just don't blame her.
2: (laughs) No.
3: For half the shit that she does. No. I kind of enjoyed the way that she was written in this scene, specifically for that reason, because we get such a cool conversation between her and Piper where Medea keeps explaining why the myth is wrong and that the stories about her are wrong. And like, you have to sit there and be like, who do I trust here? Because it's like, obviously, I'm supposed to trust Piper because she's one of my heroes. But like, Piper just knows the stories. And Medea is like our first hand on the ground source (laughs) who's defending her side of the story. I believe her. And I believe her. Everything she says, I'm like, you're right. You're right about this. But, like, the reason that I especially was, like, I believe Medea is that it's not the only time in this book where we're, like, talking about rewritten myths. Because right after this, we get Midas, who's talking about how, like, oh, the stories about me are wrong. Actually, I'm, like, way more evil than you
2: thought I was. (laughs) yeah i mean i love medea in all forms she's such an interesting character in greek mythology because she is very much written to like embody female rage and she's very much written also to be this like existential threat of like greece was very misogynistic it's very like existential threat of like oh my god this is the nightmare woman she's evil for no reason whatsoever and yet, even in the story, like, she has so many reasons to be angry. I love that, like, their idea of, like, the scariest possible monster is this, like, woman who just has this chariot of dragons and goes around tricking people because she takes advantage of their um, them underestimating her. Like, I love that for her.
3: To Charlie's point, though, I do think it's a little bit weird that we go through, like, the whole first series, specifically in, like, the titan's curse where we start being like oh all of these mortals who were deceived or abandoned by the heroes and then we get to medea and we're like forget forget we said that the
2: thing is like she was abandoned but i feel like medea is one of the few characters that like her story is not her abandonment her story is what happened after because she actually got had to have agency and like enact revenge and like actually fight back
4: um, I was just trying to find something. Because there was, like, something in, like, what she was saying. I can't find the line. Um, it's like, you you want to believe her. But then it, Piper's just like, no, she, like, is literally charm speaking right now. Like, there's th- the power in her words. Is, like, she's lying. And she's trying to bend the story to, like, what she thinks it is. At least that's how I read it. Listen, she could be charm speaking me, but I believe her. <laughs> <laughs> I want to side with this woman. And... Piper and Medea are kind of foils for each other. I mean, the the charms speak of it all. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that Piper's with Jason.
2: And she, even, Medea even like tells us the story, right? She was charmed by a goddess into falling mm-hmm. in love with Jason. Which, incidentally, to your point...
4: Piper mm-hmm. also kind of was. Yep.
2: And then she went out of her way to help him at great personal cost, which... She does. Yeah.
4: Her dad.
2: And she kind of betrays her dad to get him the golden fleece on the condition that he kind of take her with her. Him. They sort of leave Colchis in ruins, and yet it's also like only the beginning of the story.
4: I mean, you know, her dad's kind of in ruins uh, near the end of this book. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, she fixes that with a potion, which, you know, Medea's kind of famous for.
3: If Jason were a slightly... well. More than slightly worse person because he's a good guy. <laughs> <But> <laughs> if Jason were a worse person, that is kind of how that would have played out with like betraying your father to run away with some guy named Jason. <laughs> and then leaving the world kind of in pieces because you, you know, went through with. If Jason were like a classic Greek
4: hero, which he's not because he's Roman. Yep. A... he'd be a piece of shit
2: yeah i I will say and i think that was something else that really struck me is like one of the things about the aeneid which is why it's not good is that um aeneas is just like way too honorable but like to the to a degree that it's annoying because Mm. he's really like this um and the embodiment of like all of these roman ideals but like it's interesting to me because again like Odysseus like a huge piece of his character is that he's just kind of terrible like he's just ever shifting and like oh this little trickster man and like that's what makes it fun
4: you're just lending more to my Jason should be a son of Venus
3: like Aeneas (laughs) like that whole come on this is what I mean (laughs) sort of when I was saying that Jason kind of is Rome it's another one of those like we've come from a series that's worked so hard to like break down this like Percy is not any of the Greek heroes. We don't want Percy to be any of the Greek heroes. We hate all the Greek heroes. And then we get to the this next series and it's like Jason is a Roman hero. <laughs> he's got all the values. He's he's a much more like classic hero in that way. And also just in like a classic like western way, like we were saying Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a Paragon hero, like full on. <laughs> it's it's strange going from Percy, who we've spent like such a long time trying to break down how he's not like those heroes. Like we want to break away from that and then going to Jason and being like, here is your new main character.
2: Yeah, I do like also that you brought up like the comparison of like Medea telling her story and she's like comes off much better versus Midas telling his story and he comes up much worse. I do. I feel like comparing these two encounters is actually something we should do.
3: Mm hmm. I mean, in both of them, it's like, you know, in uh, the Medea scene, we get Jason and Leo completely under Medea's spell so that Piper has to like figure out a way to get out of it. And then in the Midas scene, it's Piper and Leo, I think both get turned to gold and then Jason is left to try and figure it out. One thing about this scene that I did enjoy was the way that Jason tricked his way out of it, which wasn't something I was expecting from him. Because mm-hmm. the way that he gets out of the uh, encounter with Lit is by telling Midas to help his son up.
2: He does. He perceives him a little bit. He yeah, he perceives him, persies him
3: a, little. a little bit. And then immediately follows it with Jasoning him a lot of it by <laughs> summoning a lot of lightning. <laughs> but like that one moment, you know, it wasn't something I was expecting from him. But it's also like, I don't really know him yet at this point.
2: Oh, the other thing that I thought was fun was that um, when he goes full Jason- um, He gets angry and feels a tugging sensation in his gut, and that's when he Does it say that? Power.
3: Did I yes. miss that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I was like, the anger of the big three, huh? This
3: is why I can't listen to audiobooks. I miss the important stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it was described almost very similarly to the way when Percy harnesses his anger and uses his water powers. And that had me thinking about like when Phoebe was talking about the big three and the powers It made me wonder if like, maybe that's now the distinction that's being drawn is like that tugging sensation. Cause I don't think Leo ever feels that at least not in this book. And I wonder if it's like the anger of the big three that you can harness. And it's like, it's the anger that makes you powerful rather than like the powers. Hmm. Cause he yeah. gets mad. Jason doesn't get mad very often.
4: I also did wonder what these characters' fatal flaws were.
3: Oh, I haven't considered that yet. (laughs) (laughs) I feel
4: like that's a big topic. Yeah, that might be a like later
3: book. I need to get to to know Jason. (laughs) I wonder if the power of I'm going back to what you were saying earlier. I wonder if the power of the big three if it's just like there's something more ancient or like primordial about it that like makes it feel that way or makes it more intense like that or respond to like those emotions in that way but like the more i talk about it the more i'm like it kind of does that for leo
2: yeah mm. and then like if we're talking about eldest gods and stuff probably he mentioned like there's you know venus or aphrodite in this story is like technically the most ancient
3: imagine so... if when the nico book comes out he describes a tugging in his gut i would lose my mind <laughs>
2: anything else we want to talk about in this scene or no
3: I really want to get to this random chapter long werewolf scene (laughs) My favorite thing about this scene is that they keep talking about Thalia and that, like, Thalia is probably going to show up in this book. And then you have the wolves show up and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's Thalia. And then they're like, yeah. actually, it's werewolves. And then it'll be it's- Thalia.
4: <laughs> yeah, we have to have
3: the evil ones first and then we're going to have the nice ones. But it's like such a short scene. Like, it's such a short encounter that I was like, why is this here? Like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's interesting that the hunters, I think now both times, they've like appeared out of nowhere in this series. where like, oh no, a monster encounter. We can't possibly do anything to help immediate savior.
4: So I, f- I feel like now might be a good time to bring up how I think this book is actually the most similar to the Titans curse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes.
4: One, it's like, the quest in december for some apparent reason we have a goddess who's like been taken i mean we got the hunters of freaking artemis here and then we're also kind of going to the same places but like we we don't quite go to the bay area we go adjacent
2: to it uh jason <laughs> get out hey. <laughs> I mentioned in our Titans Curse episode, but I feel like we didn't really get into it as much as I wish we had. I do think like Thali and Bianca have like a lot of parallels. And one of the things mm-hmm. I couldn't really talk about in that episode was the fact that also both of them are like parentified figures for their younger brothers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that like those two characters find each other and like have such parallel fates in a way because I feel like Bianca is sort of the road not taken for Thalia and vice versa. Like they both kind of go on their separate paths. The difference being that Thalia eventually kind of comes back. Like seeing the scene with like Thalia and Jason after all of like the first series has happened was just like really I kept getting annoyed though cuz I was like why are we not in Jason's head for this scene?
3: Yeah.
4: I was going to say maybe a stupid thing of like why Leo might be there. He's there to, you know, bring Jason some warmth, you know, some comfort. Yeah.
3: Um well, that's literally <laughs> again, the what whole he's fire there. thing, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. I do love this one. Well, actually there are a couple of moments that I really like between Jason and Leo in this scene. But when Leo, when when Jason stops Leo from leaving, and Leo realizes Jason was asking for support, he wanted somebody else there, he was scared. And I liked getting that kind of from an outside perspective, just because if you're in the person's perspective, they're going to try and rationalize it, mm. and they're going to try to like, you know, brush off whatever feeling that they're having. But when you're from, when you're in an outside perspective, it's just... What's on their face? Okay, I've been I've been thinking so hard about
4: who Leo's like other possible godly parent is.
3: <laughs> Sorry, I've been
4: thinking about like this whole freaking time <laughs> since we started this, and I'm just all I can think of is is Hestia. Mm. That is all mm. my brain is coming up with. No, that's a good one because <laughs> because another like fire god, and then also like he could he could be like the the glue of like the seven to like to yeah. bring this family together. The The one who doesn't have a home is, like, from the goddess of home and family.
2: And he makes their home because he builds the ship.
4: Genius. (laughs) I know she's a virgin goddess, but, like,
2: come on. On a complete non sequitur, I have a list of things called things we know about Phoebe, the huntress of Artemis. And we can add another (laughs) thing to the list, which is she's a healer. She's a great healer.
3: I was so happy to see her. (laughs) I forgot that she showed up in this, and when they were like, oh, here's Phoebe, I was like, oh, wait, this is the one where she gets, like, a little scene. <laughs> she's in, what, three books? Yeah.
2: And Maybe? you know what? She's she's an unforgettable piece of all of them.
3: <laughs> That's the other parallel to the Titan's Curse, is that Phoebe is also there, and is the <laughs> best character in both. <laughs>
2: And then Thalia seems to have been working on her fear of heights because she helps them get like most of the way to Aeolus's.
4: She could never try flying, though. I I don't think that would work for her.
2: I do like really enjoy also like how good Jason is at flying, which like leads me to believe again, like he had like his whole other own journey with his powers that we just weren't privy to where he like became the master of the fucking sky. Like, yeah. Percy can kind of, like, do whatever he needs to with water, like, mm-hmm. rules of the universe be damned.
4: I want to know what happened with him and that sea monster. Right?
3: Everyone always focuses on the last part, but no one ever talks about it. It's the Trojan sea monster, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. What Trojan sea monster? I don't remember a Trojan sea monster. I'm Googling Trojan sea monster. How much do you want to bet the only entries on the Rick Riordan wiki? <laughs> <laughs> top top one is Rick Riordan wiki.
3: Well, you haven't heard of it because Jason killed it so bad that it, like, (laughs) everyone forgot about
4: it. But like, literally, like, we got at least two different things that Jason could have, like, done in previous stories. Like, we got the, like, his version of The Last Olympian, and then him with this sea monster quest.
2: That's one of my favorite parts of this book, actually, is just, like, when he was like, I just saw you. And Jason's like, huh? What? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I remember you. You were trying to, you were chasing down a sea monster.
4: And then he stayed at the palace for a couple days.
2: Yeah. You know why I like it? It's because we never see something like this happen with Percy. Like, we never see him, like, following up, really, with, like, a, a past encounter. Like, he doesn't, like, go mm-hmm. through the same thing twice. And I want to see it. So we've got the Aphrodite dream with Piper. And, I again, yeah. I think you see her in a very different way than you see her in the first series. Yeah. I
4: almost want to compare her to, like... The first series, she was Aphrodite Pandemos, and in this one, she's Aphrodite Urania, like, a little bit more. She's a little bit, like, less, oh, these are my ships, and I'm gonna make them canon. And here, she's, like, trying to be all motherly, but she's she's still still got a little bit of that, uh, yeah, you and Jason are so perfect together.
3: Oh, I'm gonna dress him up in that purple shirt again. But if it were, like... (laughs) original series Aphrodite you would almost expect her to be talking about like oh how tragic it's going to be when he gets his memories back and you like it all falls apart and Piper would be like what do you mean like (laughs) like that's the kind of scene that would play out in the original series
2: it feels like Aphrodite was taking notes and is like maybe I should be a better mom (laughs) <laughs> she was like yeah. really
3: listening while Percy was giving his speech at the end of The Last Olympian.
2: <laughs> I mean, we're all—I guess
4: we're also getting it from a different perspective. Like, maybe she talks differently to her kids than to other
3: children of gods. Yeah. Who knows? This is something that I meant to bring up multiple times throughout this episode and then didn't because <laughs> I forgot. There's more of a, a focus on the relationships between parents who are actually present and there's the there's the cyclops there's lit and midas there's oh the boreads yes the boreads that's the one i was forgetting the the word for and so we have these like dysfunctional relationships between children and the parents who they actually like live with and who are the Mm -hmm. who they're stuck with rather than like you know the gods who are kind of they'll show up once every two books
2: I do think Piper and her dad have a really interesting relationship in this book because I feel like at different points we're shown very different relationships that they have, like, just within the two of them. Where, like, there was a quote I wrote down for um, when, after she rescues her dad, that her dad says something like, I feel like I'm the kid now. Mm -hmm. and she's kind of in that way has to take care of him and is sort of like almost parentified a little bit like or at least that's the way it kind of feels when he points it out like that and yet at the same time we we see that like they do have moments in her life where her dad has been like a great parent and like really tried to connect Mm -hmm. with her in his own way but there's always still like this it's like this weird space where like when they do connect it's great and yet it's such a rare occurrence to her and like we also get all of these things about how he's kind of pushes her away almost like he kind of keeps her there because he thinks it's better for her. There's a lot in this of him, like also kind of choosing not to dig deeper, choosing not to think more, choosing to kind of be ignorant to things. The most interesting character moment for me in this book was when Piper was also given the choice of whether or not to give him the memory potion and wipe away his memory of past events. Like, all of the other parents we've met so far are either so completely removed from the half-blood life or so completely involved versus her dad, like, actively chooses to, like, not be involved. Even though they have this, like, moment at the end where he's like, I want to remember that you're a hero, and yet I'm too weak to handle it, basically. It's just a really interesting relationship.
3: Yeah. Their relationship is one of my favorite parent-child relationships in any of these books
2: it's also interesting that her choice is to give him a potion that wipes his memory when like mm-hmm. a huge struggle throughout this entire book that she's had in her head is like about how terrible it was that Jason's lost his memory like I feel like she cares about it more than he does <laughs> um because I think it impacts her and I we haven't really talked about it but like how memory fil- fits into this story um, and I feel like we're only getting one part, what chapter one of a two-chapter story, if you will, because we have the next book in the series. But something I was thinking about a lot is, like, how amnesia is, like, typically used in stories, because it's not real. Like, amnesia, the way we see it in Hollywood, like, I'm thinking, like, that Grey's Anatomy arc or, you know, other stuff, like, it's not a thing. But it's all over, especially romance. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think about how I've seen it used there versus here. Like the thing that Anesia really has a power to do is to wipe a slate clean when someone's gone down like I- an irreversible path, like something that would be unforgivable. And it allows them to like take a step back and like get an opportunity to see a little bit of the person that they've become and choose whether or not they want to go back down that path. And often the story is about them choosing the other decision. And thinking about, like, Thalia and Jason in that light is really interesting to me. The path he went on is really hardcore and has so fundamentally shaped him as a person that, like, he's almost inseparable from it at this point. Like, what what does he become from here, you know? Like, what is he going to do differently
4: all of my, my thoughts about this are, like, for later things. Um, <laughs> memory is kind of important, I think, in this series in yeah. general.
3: I think what's especially... I I don't know what it is. but <laughs> The fact that at the end of this book, Jason hasn't fully recovered his memories. Like, he has that conversation with, I think, Juno in, like, one of the last chapters where he's like, I still don't remember it all. Like, it's, it's all still fuzzy. And just the way that the memories come back to him as like these short painful headaches that he'll get and then like oh I've I've found another piece of the puzzle but they almost in this book there are only certain ones that feel like memories a lot of them just feel like impulses and like things that he suddenly knows rather than like oh I remember this I think the only one that feels like oh I remember this is that he was at the wolf house like left by his mom and like he knows that story but I don't know, even even at the end, Jason's memories still still feel distant from him. Which, I'll, all of this I'm saying because we're going to be reading Son of Neptune next. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Did we touch on the fact that, like, the giants have to be killed by, like, a demigod and a god working together?
3: Oh, yeah, and, how, and his like, dad is just like, yeah, I'll help you.
4: <laughs> and the fact that, like, Olympus is closed. Yeah. They, like, they're embarrassed. They don't want help from the demigods
3: It's Zeus that helps them here, right? Yeah. Or at least Jupiter. Which is like, considering he's the one that closed them down in the first place and is so like, Mm -hmm. he's the one forcing them all to separate themselves. It's, I am looking forward to the Jupiter-Jason conversation because I don't remember it.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Okay. I really want to talk about this scene at the wolf house.
2: It's the part where you die. (laughs) Because I, 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 the memory of this started to come back to me and I was like, wait, does it? Oh my god. Yeah,
3: that is one of the things that I love about
2: Jason. You love that he died.
3: Is that he's a dead man walking <laughs> because from our introduction <laughs> to him, we're immediately told that he is someone who refuses to die, but like keeps getting into situations where he absolutely should have died. Because like in the mm. first or second chapter... Dylan hits him with like a lightning attack and is like when when Jason is still breathing he's like that should have killed you how are you alive and then when Chiron first sees him he's like you should be dead and like it's just repeated mm-hmm. over and over and then like we learn that Thalia oh, believes that he was dead all this time and is like how are you alive and it's just repeated so many times and then Jason finally dies at the end and then wakes up again and is like I cannot be killed like <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking immortal <a> <laughs> Yeah. Maybe
2: this is his secret parallel also, where, like, he needs to also be kind of equivalent to Percy with the sticks curse. Mm. <laughs> the curse of Achilles. He's just because, like, of like, like,
3: pure willpower, like, will not die.
2: <laughs> that, I mean, that's very Roman to be QH. But, like, they're just, like, both these characters where the monsters are like, I'm just, I'm trying to kill him. This should be working. Why isn't this working? Yeah.
3: But I think that, like, it doesn't make him fully invincible in my eyes because we do see him, like, getting knocked out and, like, getting hurt. And so, like, we know he can still be injured. It's not like he has some kind of, like, main character thing where, like, he just can't be killed because he's a main character. It's more that it gives him this aura, like, this kind of heaviness that, like, he's walking around when he shouldn't be. And I feel like he carries that throughout the rest of this series. Okay, I just had a thought, like... I
4: mean, Jason's, like, journey as a Roman started here at the Wolf House. Mm -hmm. And he symbolically, like, and Mm -hmm. literally dies here as a Roman. Mm -hmm. And then what does he become after that?
3: Ah. (laughs) Now I'm kind of going to be thinking, like, how is this a rebirth for Jason? How is he different? Just moving forward.
2: Part of it to me is how we don't end the book with him getting all his memories back. I'm like, I'm linking them in my head also because we just have this scene where Piper's dad chooses to forget and then like we have jason ending this book kind of also in that place where he's like he doesn't have it all back he's like kind of in a way letting go of parts of his past because he's embracing like at least like Mm -hmm. the false memories of like him and piper's relationship and further like rebirth in this mythology and in this series is like when you get reborn you are dunked in the life that you lose your memory Mm
3: mm-hmm Jason's been reborn. Oh, that means that I get to do the same little experiment watching Percy for the rest of the series. (laughs) I really love this one moment in like the last chapter where they're talking about what happened to Mount Othrus. They're they're just like, obviously it went this way. And Jason's like, you're literally wrong. Like, I, I was there. I was there. <laughs> and I loved that as like a third example of like someone whose story has changed over time. And then they come in and are like, actually, it went a totally different way. But for yeah. it to be one of our modern day Characters correcting their own little myth, but it also I thought tied nicely to a conversation that we had last time, two times ago I think it was two episodes ago where we were talking about different regions having different versions of the same story, and I was like, That's what that oh, is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah makes sense.
2: sense.
3: He's just so much more mythic than Percy was in some ways.
2: <laughs> But I feel like part of that is also because we weren't there with him when he did it. Like, if you yeah. take a step back and think about Percy, it's like, who is this guy? I feel like with Jason, like, we get the benefit of having the step back of, like, like, we don't know what was going through his... I mean, we imagine he had a bit more of a plan than Percy did, because that's who he is. But, like, if you don't know that Percy's, like, I have no idea what's going on in his brain, you see him access God to your He's, like, invincible. He, like, creates a hurricane. Like, he just...
3: Right. But with Percy, it's like we were in his head when he did that. So even when they're telling the stories to like Piper or like Leo, when they're showing up, it, it still is like, oh, we know that guy. But with Jason, it's like a total myth to us because we didn't we weren't there for it. And so I like having Jason show up just in the same way that these like mythic characters have mm. throughout the book and being like, actually, my story is different from the one that you've been telling.
4: Yeah. Getting
2: a lot of lo- Jason love. Um, I love Jason so much. <laughs> I also love Jason. I don't understand
3: people who say he's boring. I'm like, there's so much here.
4: I I have one question for y'all as as we end this. Who's the
3: lost hero?
2: I think it's Percy, actually.
3: See, I used to say that because I used to like to make everything about Percy. But like, so little of this book really feels like it's about Percy. But it wouldn't work as a title. I I still think that it's Jason because he's
2: lost. Yeah, he's
3: lost. <laughs> Is there a third option that I'm not thinking of?
2: Gleason Hedge.
3: Oh, he is lost for a good amount of this. That's true.
2: (laughs) That's my final answer.
3: (laughs) Hera. The lost Hera,
2: actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, etymologically speaking. Yep.
3: (laughs) Exactly. We have a question for you, which is if you were to design a bead for this book because it doesn't have one, what would it be?
2: I fucking knew it was coming, and yet I did not prepare at all. If it makes you feel better, Charlie, I just remembered that we do that. So. <laughs> I, mean, I
4: mean, Festus, he's pretty important. Pretty close to my heart. He deserves to be immortalized as a bead.
3: And you know what? I had Festus's head- as the bead for the bronze dragon. So if you had one bead that was like just the broken head and then one that's like the mm. full dragon.
4: No, it's actually just the rest of the dragon.
3: Oh yeah, not the head. Because his head does <laughs> come <laughs> off at one point, so.
2: <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like a double bead, you know, you- you.
3: Right, you stack them together. You gotta
2: collect them all, you know. I think I'm gonna give it to you, like one of Medea's potions.
3: Hmm. Like the
2: forgetting potion. I'm gonna yeah. go with that one.
3: That's a better one than in what I would say. <laughs> Because all I'm coming up with is like Jason's coin, like which feels like a lame answer to me. I
2: mean, double-sided coin. That there's something there.
3: Oh, like each side. Double-sided of the, bead. Yeah. Other mm. each side of the bead looks different. I'll give it to the coin for Jason.
2: Our dead, dead
4: boy. That's actually the bead. It's actually Jason dead. Jason
3: dead on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to monster donut next time we'll be reading the quest for buford and the son of magic thank you charlie for being here please plug where we can find you and um all the other things
4: <laughs> um of course you can find me on of the oldest gods many places on the internet and you can find me specifically i'm at green pixie 12 most places twitter it's greenpixie one two three and my drawing Instagram is creampixiedraws.
3: Oh, I don't follow that one. I should do that right now. <laughs> I follow you, so... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find the two of us, you can find us at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email us at monsterdonutpodcast at gmail.com. And these episodes are not on YouTube yet. <laughs> I'm too busy. They
2: will be. <laughs> It's fine. Phoebe has important dramaturgy stuff to do right now.
3: I'm so busy right now. Once I get past June, I'm going to be like so free. <laughs> Much like
2: our heroes, once you get past what you have to do through Juneau, June.
3: Once I get past the summer solstice, I'll, I'll be free.
2: That's what they want you to think anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.